<laughs> it's nice to meet you. Thank you so much for uh, coming to my show, India. I appreciate it very much. Awesome. Thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. Could you introduce yourself in a few words? Just say what you do. Yeah, for sure. Um, so my name is Andy, aka Jack of the Dust. Uh, I'm an Australian artist of the social generation. Uh, and my main focus is playing around physical uh, sculptures of skulls. Okay, awesome. <laughs> Uh, the term Jack of the Dust originates from the Royal Navy of the early it, 1800s. It is, uh, yeah, it is. So why did you take this term as your brand name? So it, it's funny, um, a lot of people are kind of finding this out now, but I actually used to be a boat builder before I was an artist. Um, so I had worked within boats for about 12 years of my life. I left school, I did a apprenticeship on the Gold Coast. I was working with uh, multi-million dollar yachts, doing interiors, um, doing new development with new designs and very physical stuff. So essentially you could look at it back then as I was almost sculpting, but it wasn't called sculpting. We were designing new boats and we'd be bogging them, ferrying them. So my background was in the marine industry. So when it came time to sort of step out and try something different, I wanted to be more creative. Um, I had to think of a name. So I think, you know, before you start, you have to think of a name because you have to come up with a website, social media. So to me, I was looking through, I think it was like some sort of a Google uh, sort of website and it was all terms of maritime terminology and it was all alphabetical. So I was going through all these naval terms, uh, marine industry terms, and I came down to one at J and it said Jack of the Dust. Mm -hmm. And I looked into what that actually meant. And what it actually means is in the old sort of tall ships back in the day, the wooden tall ships, the person that would work in the bottom of the boat that would deal with the dusty environment their role would be called Jack of the Dust. Mm -hmm. um, but when I heard that, it kind of spoke to me because I'm, I'm working with skulls. And to me, it's like Jack is the name of the skull. It's from the ground, Jack of the Dust. It just sounded right. I just stumbled across it. It just sounded right. Um, it sounded super unique. So it's like when you hear Jack of the Dust, people generally think of me, they don't think of the old terminology. So it's actually like a lost term. So people don't think about the naval term, they think about skulls now. So, you know, mm -hmm. but it just it just sounded very fitting, but I kind of just stumbled across it. It sounded right. And um, yeah, I think I'm still happy with it. I'm still happy with the name. <laughs> I, I actually wanted to ask you about the first job that you had but you already mentioned that uh, that you worked in the boating industry yeah. so why did you quit well i i i think i left school at 17 years old i think i had maybe about a week off or something like that and i jumped straight into boat building for the next um 10 years I actually really enjoyed it. Like I enjoyed doing it. Um, but when I sort of looked at my life, I was kind of like, I've done this for 10 years. I've been out of school for 10 years. This is what I've done. So I'm like, I just, I enjoyed it, but I didn't want to do that for the next 10 years. I feel like I had 
done my apprenticeship, I had worked on a lot of different projects and I've sort of improved and I just don't think there was any more growth left for me within that industry. So, you know, I wanted to do something different. I wanted a challenge. Um, so I started Jack of the Dust at 27 years old. But, you know, look, all in all, I enjoyed the job. Um, I just wanted to do something different, something more creative. Um, and that's when I started doing Jack of the Dust. Interesting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. It's just uh, so different. So different. So yeah. different. But they're, they're, it's funny enough because a lot of the things that I learned within the boat building industry actually helped me today. <clears throat> um, you know, one, I, th I think the biggest thing you learn that I learned anyway is working with other people. Like I was, when I left school, I was 17 years old. I would only talk to and hang around people that were my age, like mm -hmm. so 17. So when I went and did this, I was working with people that were maybe 30, 40, like a lot older. And, you know, coming from school, it's like you look at these people like your teachers or your parents. <laughs> and I started to learn that I was actually having a lot of friends that were like a lot older than me. And that's something that's quite different. Um, but yeah, I did, I did learn a lot from that and, um, uh, but yeah, it was very different, but like, you know, when you design a boat, you have to sculpt it. Like when, when a, when a boat building company comes up with a new design, you have to work with the concept artists and kind of be, they're like, we want this to be like this. And they might come and look at the boat and they might be like, we want this line to change. We want this to change. So funny enough, they're, they're actually more similar than you would think, mm -hmm. um, you know, when a new boat, boat is created, that's like me sculpting a skull. Mm -hmm. From that original creation as a boat, they have to mould that. And then mm -hmm. same with my creation, I have to mould it. And then they have to produce a cast and then they have to finish it. So the process is more similar than you would think. Um, but from the outside, it, it's chalk and cheese. Like boats and skulls, they're very different. Okay, now it makes a lot more sense how you ended up doing sculpture in essence yeah. Yeah. okay you do different um sculptures of skulls the first time when i looked at them i was a little bit put off because i'm coming from you know art history and the skull represents uh, you know death and yeah um it just illustrates the impermanence of, of human life yeah, it, it serves as a reminder of death in art history. So I am curious to know, what does the skull represent to you? Um, is it a symbol of death or something else? Yeah, it, it's definitely that. Like, it definitely is a symbol of death. Um, but I don't, I don't look at it in that sort of a dark way, you know what I mean? Like... Mm -hmm. yes yes it is a reminder that we don't live forever I don't think that's the worst thing in the world because you know if you understand that you don't live forever how would you live your life like if you know that you only get a certain period you know because some people forget like especially especially when you're a kid you think you're indestructible you think you're going to live forever so you know there's like no repercussions um, so look, I think, I think it shouldn't be frowned upon to kind of realize that we're not going to be here forever. So it's kind of like, how do you want to, what do you want your legacy to be? How, how do you want to live your life? And, you know, when I create a new piece, it's, I'm not looking at the death of something. I'm sort of celebrating the life of something. 
So I might sculpt, I'm not sure if you've seen it, uh, like my David and Gaddy piece, it's like, uh, it's the torso of David, uh, Michelangelo's mm -hmm. David. Mm -hmm. It shows the ribs and stuff like that. And it, and it kind of just, for me, it celebrates the life. Um, so it's, a, it's and, a, and in another way, like, after we die, the skull lives on. Like, this, the skull is going to be there forever. So it's a reminder of that person. So that's why when I create something, I like to try breathe the character back into the skull because, you know, everybody's skulls are so similar. I'm sure if you put a bunch of skulls together, you couldn't tell who was who. Um, so I like to I like to breathe life back into it or, or culture. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, so it's it's for me, it's it's not as dark as you would imagine. I try to sort of uh, celebrate different cultures and creations. And, you know, for me, it's good. Like I, I, I live my life by that. It's like, you know, when I look at myself now, I am 37 years old and I'm like, if I'm lucky, I'm probably going to live to about maybe 100 if I'm lucky. Um, both of my grandparents on both sides have lived past a hundred, both of my grandparents. Wow. Um, so my great granddad was actually one of the last Anzacs to fight in the war. So he was one of the last Anzacs alive. Um, but you know, I, I try to look at my life, like how much time have I got left? You know, how do I want to spend that? You know, I want to enjoy myself. I want to, you know, I want to be an artist. I want to be, I want to have a family. I want to have good relationships. I want to enjoy myself and you know hopefully when i move on and i pass away i leave something for everybody else um mm -hmm. yeah it, it's it, it's good it helps me it motivates me um you know what i mean i'm trying to make the best of every day so i try to put a positive spin on what can be perceived as a dark topic okay i'm just thinking there is always um there is light and dark part in every yep. person. So I'm just thinking that you kind of embody that because it's a dark theme, but you put the light into it. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And, uh, you know, that's the same with everybody's uh, life, how they live. You know, you can start your day and you can think about the negatives or you can think about the positives. So, so every day you have a choice to focus on the darkness or focus on the brightness. It's mm -hmm. you know, definitely comes down to a decision. Sometimes people don't think they have that decision, but they do. Mm -hmm. Well, it comes down to feelings. Sometimes we want to do certain things, but then we don't feel like it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, so walk me through your creative process because I'm not a sculptor. I, I, I paint. So it's very interesting for me to learn um, how you decide what to sculpt and um, what materials and techniques that, that you use. Generally, when I come up with an idea, most people kind of think that I might sit down and sketch out a concept and draw the idea mm -hmm. first. But um, I actually am terrible at drawing. <laughs> Te terrible. So... You know, my creative process kind of starts with having like a little bit of a brainstorm, thinking about what sort of I want to do. Generally, whenever I have an idea too, I write a list. Um, so in my phone right now, I've probably got about 50 different ideas of things that I want to create. Mm -hmm. So my well, first step. What's, yeah. what's the ideas? Can you list a few of them? Yeah, yeah, just... yeah, for sure, for okay. sure. 
I'll get my phone. I wanted to do, I wanted to do a Mickey Mouse piece. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I wanted to do something that was maybe a little bit more fun, a little bit more um, animated. Um, I've been experimenting with a few new designs where I do a physical sculpture, but it looks like a two-dimensional object. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been experimenting with that. So I definitely wanted to get involved and do a Mickey Mouse. I think that would be really, really fun. Um, I wanted to do maybe something Aztec-related. Um, I haven't done anything like that before and sort of I love like the very specific style that comes from the Aztecs. I think that would be fun. Uh, another one, Mad Max. I don't know if you've seen that. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's an Australian film. I would love to do something Mad Max related. Um, wow, that will, be, uh, that will be a hit. <laughs> and coming from an Australian artist as mm-hmm. well, I think that could be something really fun and I think I, I, think I could do it justice. Uh, I want to do something that involves a snake, a wolf. Um, I want to do something that involves uh, birds. I wouldn't mind doing a relief sculpture of the Mona Lisa. Oh wow! But, <laughs> but look, I've got a I've got a massive a massive list of things that I want to do. So generally, I'll go through that list and I'll just think about what I kind of get most excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way it starts is I might grab a few images. Um, you know, I'll just jump on Google, do an image search, do a couple of things that inspire me, and I'll kind of just put it up on a screen. I'll grab the clay and I'll just start sculpting. And sculpting is very obviously you're a painter, so when you paint, your strokes are kind of very final. It's kind of like what you do is what is gonna be seen on the final piece. For me, clay is in a constant state of movement. So it's like I can do something, and if I don't like it, I can change it. Mm-hmm. So sculpting for me really helps through that process because everything I do is not completely permanent. I can move things. I can change things. I can chop things off if I don't like it and replace it with other things. So for my style, sculpting is really good through that creative process. Um once I've done the sculpture, generally I work with materials like water clay. There's a, a clay called wed clay. It's very soft. Uh, as it dries, it becomes harder. Mm-hmm. But as it dries too much, it kind of um, decays and breaks down. So a lot of my original sculptures get destroyed through the process. <laughs> so okay. nobody... I've been around for 10 years and nobody owns an original sculpture from me. So the way that that works is when I do my mold, generally that's when it gets destroyed. So to pull, to, I make like a silicon jacket, fiberglass jackets. After it's molded and we pull it apart, generally the sculpture gets destroyed mm-hmm. when the mold is complete. But, you know, I think that's, I think that's really cool because it's, it's kind of like a little nod to life and death. You know, mm-hmm. to give birth to my artwork, I have to destroy it. So, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of artists would find that really tough to kind of yeah. destroy their original to make it available to people. Mm-hmm. But I've been doing it for that long that I just understand that it's a part of my process. Um, but it is also a little sad to destroy something I spent so long making. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and from that mould, we create a cast um, and then we start painting. Um, so generally when it comes to painting, I might try a few different concepts um, and sort of, you know, just see what I like and 
you know, sometimes even today, I kind of um, put my votes out to social media, like especially with Instagram, like I find that helps with the final part of my creative process. On Instagram, we have very close to a million followers. Uh, and, you know, if I'm unsure on something, I could put up a vote and to the people that support me, the customers, the clients and say, hey, guys, what do you prefer, this or this? And they'll be like, oh, this one's way better. And mm-hmm. that just helps me out. And it also lets my clients be a part of the process mm-hmm. because yeah. I don't, I don't offer my, I don't offer like a, a service where people can, uh, you know, get me to custom make something for them. Like I don't take commissions. Mm-hmm. So the involvement of the customer kind of comes through in the social media, but essentially on a larger scale, if you look at it, it's kind of like a special effect shop. So the way I operate is very, very similar to the way a movie special effects shop would operate. I see. Yeah. Wow, so interesting. <laughs> do, your, do your sculptures come as additions or you complete one uh, skull and that's it? Like, how does it work? So I don't do additions. I, I used to do additions when I first started, um, but... A big driving force behind why I do what I do is to make artwork available to people. So I haven't sort of been involved within the gallery scene um, or anything like that. Like, you know, what I do is just not within the same brand as being a gallery artist. Mm-hmm. Um, so, look, to me, being completely honest, when I look at the gallery art world, I love it. I appreciate it. I think it's great. But I think there's a lot of smoke and mirrors. And I think there is a lot of pretend artists and, you know, I, I just like to be real. I like to be real. I like to be honest. I like to make something that I think looks good and I like to make it available to the people that I think will appreciate it mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. Actually, uh, that was one of my questions because, um, you know, the, about the galleries, um, I actually like that you bypassed all that world gallery yeah. world and focused on building your own business it's super cool <laughs> and um, I think it's easier these days as opposed to when you just started out could you share uh, maybe give some tips to artists how to start out yeah uh, for sure. as, as an independent artist as opposed to searching yeah. for gallery representation yeah, for sure. I mean, like, you know, maybe maybe 10, 20 years ago, the only way you could become a successful artist is through the galleries. Mm-hmm. So, you know, back in the day, you have to play that game if you want to become successful because you have to get into those good galleries and whatever. But I, I even know a lot of gallery artists these days, I'm not going to name names, but they started off through galleries. The gallery takes a 50% commission and, th- mm-hmm. and they're just like, why am I doing this? They're like, all of my customers are going to the gallery. The gallery's taken half. People are starting to realize that they don't need the galleries. Mm-hmm. So that is like super exciting. It's bad for the galleries because I feel like galleries, some of them are still going to be extremely successful. There's no denying that. But there's going to be a lot of artists that come out today that don't need the galleries. They're going to be able to start something by themselves. Um, it, it gives you more freedom. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, my advice to people that want to become an artist and they don't want to go the route of the galleries is obviously social media. Social media is so important. Um, and to be honest, like, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the um, filming that I do, when I'm sculpting, I just hold my phone up and I just start working. Like, it's very mm-hmm. honest. Like, I'm, it's, there's no high production value or anything like that. And people, I think, love that honesty and they get to see how it was made. Um, but social media, and look, social media changes by the minute. Um, so you have to kind of stay savvy and stay up to date. Um, and, you know, you've got Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and there's certain types of videos that perform better on different platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, reels, reels on Instagram are huge. Um, you know, you just got to make them short and snappy. Generally, people don't have a huge attention span these days. So, you know, my general format is I don't really like to go over 30 seconds. And the clips that I put into it, they're generally around about half a second. So half a second to maybe a second max. Um, but you've got to keep it short and sweet because we're in a work, we're in a very fast paced world. So you have to be able to show them, but people can lose interest within seconds. So, you know, you have to show them something like super quick, but it can work out. So like, for example, we've only had TikTok for about maybe two or maybe three years. And our TikTok is almost at a million followers, uh, whereas my Instagram's at a million as well. But we've had Instagram for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. So three years on TikTok, um, we're already looking to surpass Instagram, you know, and we've only been around for three years. We've got videos that have been that have reached like 30 million people um, and, you know, you don't have to pay for that. So, you know, if you were to pay an advertising company to reach or a gallery to reach a certain clientele, that video just reached 30 million people and it didn't cost a cent. Like, mm-hmm. so that, that is the opportunity that you have today within social media is you don't need the galleries. You don't need anybody to be like, Hey, I'm going to make you a big success. You can do it yourself and if you're honest and people like what you do, look, you can't control everything. Not everyone is going to like your artwork. It's subjective. You know, like you said, when you first stumbled across my artwork, it's not maybe your thing or maybe it's a little bit sort of darker. That's okay. Like everybody mm-hmm. can have different tastes and that's the beauty of being a human. Everybody likes different things. Um, so try not get disheartened. My advice to people, artists, is don't get disheartened when somebody doesn't like what you do. It's fine. Like, you know, everybody mm-hmm. likes different things. This guy likes red. This guy likes blue. This guy likes green. It's it's okay. Like, just try not to, you know, live and die by people's reactions. You know, as an artist, as long as you like it, you think it looks good, just be honest to yourself. If you like this video, please uh, share it with your friends, uh, leave a comment or rate this podcast. Thanks so much. So you attribute your success on Instagram um, to your short clips of your process. Yeah, yeah, and that and that and that would be today. Let's be honest. I started Instagram ten years ago. Ten years ago, Instagram wasn't owned by Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a lot more organic. Um, so I would say, yeah, in right now, if you're trying to build some following, clip uh, video clips under 30 seconds, uh, each clip 
five sec, uh, half a second to 0.7 of a second. Um, be honest. Just just film the process and post it out. You don't need to be crazy. You can just film it and do it. It doesn't always work out, but, you know. <laughs> so let's go back to your uh, process of making a skull. Like, So you destroy your original and you have a mold. Yeah. So what's next? What do you so, do with the mold? Yeah, so once the mold is done, then we do a urethane cast. And this is like a product that's used within the special effects industry. So when you watch a movie and there's maybe like a piece of armor or a helmet, or maybe you're watching something like a medieval film, like this is what they'll use. Um, and this product, you can make it through paint, through painting process, you can make it look like anything. You can make it look like rusted iron. You can make it look like chrome. You can make it look like gold. You can weather it down and make it look 100 years old. You know, if you've ever watched, like, a fantastic film, you believe these things are real. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the process that I use because the special effects industry is trying to create something that day, put it on screen, and it's supposed to look a couple of hundred years old. So that's the process that gives me the freedom to sort of create. So mm-hmm. we use that urethane cast, and then once we pop that out of the mould, we have to clean it up and fix any imperfections. And then we start painting. And, you know, when it comes to paint, uh, we use sort of like spray cans, we use spray guns, we use airbrushes, uh, hand painting, um, a lot of sort of weathering techniques. So over the last 10 years, I've like sort of just tried and experimented with different techniques, different products, and I don't stick to a specific set of brands of paints or anything like that. We use as much as we can. We use anything that works, and I'm constantly trying new things. I'm trying to find products that I haven't used yet, and I'm trying to figure out how they operate and how they look and you know, I'm trying to search for that certain level of realism. So, you know, water-based responds very different to like a turpenoid sort of paint mm-hmm. or something that has like an acetone solvent or and how they react. You mm-hmm. might put one over the other and then it eats away at it and then you're like, okay, well, that doesn't work. I've got to start again. I see. So how did you make your crystal skull? Is it crystal? The crystal skull? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that one is made with canine crystals. So I actually worked with another company to create that one. I had been working on that for about maybe two years. So we used to make those in-house and the clarity was good and the detail was great, but the success rate of it meeting the QC just never sort of passed. So it's like there might be a little bit of dust in the mold. There might be a little imperfection that we couldn't polish out. So I stopped making them, and then I sort of reached out to another company, uh, and we've been working together for the last year or so. Um, I had to create a master. So when I created the master, I had to sort of sand it down, make sure it was perfect. Um, I sprayed it with like a 2K paint to make sure the surface was like glass. We sent it to this company and also they scanned it into a machine. So they scan it into a digital file and then they change a few bits and pieces to make it suit their creative process. So, and then they, like, I think they pour it with a, like a canine crystal. It literally feels like glass. Mm -hmm. Like I'm like just so, so happy with like how that piece turned out. But that's been the first piece that I've actually utilized a studio outside of my own. 
Mm -hmm. It looks very beautiful. I also like your uh, skull that has um, purplish crystals. Yeah. On, yeah. <laughs> on top of it. Yeah, yeah, that's a super. That's that that skull has probably been around for about eight years now. It's probably one of the first ones that I made when I left um, boat building. I've read that you have a team of people working for you, and you have two manufacturing facilities. Is that yeah. right? Okay. Correct. How do you find people? How do you hire them? Like, what's the process of doing process. that? Yeah. Well, look, it's generally it's quite uh, traditional, like we will sort of jump onto like just a job application site or anything like that. But, you know, in the earlier days, I would almost handpick people that I wanted to sort of be a part of Jack of the Dust. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have had people that have started with no experience and we've had people that have come in with maybe like painting experience or um, people from the movie movie industry are fantastic mm -hmm. um, because they generally understand the process. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah, it's, it's quite hard and we have to do a lot of in-house training. So obviously, as you could expect, doing something as unique as Jack of the Dust, generally most people come in with little to no experience or they might be good at painting and we can like we can shift. We can teach them a few things and shift them into different areas and stuff like that. But, yeah, it obviously involves a lot of training, um, mm -hmm. which definitely, uh, you know, makes it hard. But, you know, we've been going for so long that I feel like we have like an absolutely fantastic team. Um, and generally when people come on board, they join the studio, they just don't want to leave. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I pride myself on creating a good, positive environment for everybody where we can have fun, create art, make a living and enjoy our lives. Yeah, that's <laughs> that sounds fantastic. I, I'm, I'm asking about this because it's actually very difficult to uh, find the right people. And it's it, it can be quite a process of doing that. So that's why I asked. Well, that's that's one of the biggest challenges is, mm -hmm. you know, let's be honest, like when you bring somebody in new, they're never the right person. Mm -hmm. It's like you have to train them because as an artist, like you are so unique in what you do and nobody's going to be able to come in and do it the same mm -hmm. way as you would. So it, ta it takes time and patience. That's all I could say. Mm-hmm. So what do you think is your biggest failure and success? It's it's funny because, like, I, as you probably know, as an artist, like, failing almost becomes a part of your daily routine. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I sort of fail. I almost fail more than I succeed. Um, but it, it's hard for me to pick out something. Actually, no, I do have something specific. One of my biggest failures but i still don't see it as a failure i just see it as a learning curve um mm -hmm. you know i don't every sometimes people get so caught up on like failures i don't think that's a healthy mentality like because mm -hmm. you have to try things and you have to fail to move forward it's a part of the process if you don't want to fail you don't want to grow it's mm -hmm. just part of it um when i was boat building and this is you'll find this funny so when I was boat building, I always wanted to be creative and I wanted to use all my skills to build my own boat. So I designed a boat and I built it out of my parents' 
house and I had a big yard and the boat was 33 feet long, which is like 10 meters. Wow. Huge. So I built this boat on the side whilst I was working for about seven years. Mm -hmm. So I would would go to my day job in the afternoons. I'd work a little bit. Weekends, I'd work a little bit. And eventually, like, it was just such a big job. It was just so much bigger than I had ever expected. Um, And it got to the point where I had to get rid of it. Like, it was on my parents' lawn. Um, I had started Jack of the Dust. My dad hated it. He's just like, Andy, get this thing off my lawn. He's like, I want to start a veggie garden. Um, so with that project, um, in perspective, I probably put about 30000 Australian dollars into that project over those years. Um, I had also put countless, countless hours, uh, thousands of hours into that thing. And guess what I did? I yep. gave it for free. Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say. My... I gave it away for free. And so yeah. we had a guy rock up and he was looking at it. I don't think I maybe had like $5,000 on it. I said, I wanted to put it cheap just so somebody would take it. He was like, oh, yeah, you know, it's all good. I said, look, like I really want to get rid of this. I said, if you take this boat by this Sunday, I'll give it to you for free. I said, and also the only other condition that I have is that you cannot talk to me about this boat. So I said, once you take this boat, this is where we go our separate ways. So I, so I said, I don't want you calling me back going, hey, what's this? Hey, what's that? What did you do this? I said, if you take this boat for free, this is your boat and you don't talk to me anymore. And he's like, deal, deal. He took the boat and I've never heard from him ever again. You know, my husband bought a small boat a long time ago and he worked on it and worked on it and worked on it and he gave it away. Oh, so you can understand. <laughs> yeah, I understand this very well. <laughs> uh, don't but, like boats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're a waste of money. But he had a small boat. You you yeah. had a big one, so Yeah. But look at look at that little situation. Most people that would destroy them. They would be like, oh, you know, $30,000, like, you know, all that time. When I got rid of that boat, I was happy. I was like, thank God. And, I'm just like, <laughs> and, and now and now I could work on my artwork. So, yeah, you can do something new. Yeah, exactly. But look, um, yeah, failing is a natural part of success. So I know sometimes people out there, it's easy to get disheartened and be like, oh, this gallery turned me down. They don't want my artwork. Oh, this person doesn't think my artwork looks good. You know what I mean? It's like you need to try uh, desensitize yourself to things that might not go your way um, because it happens all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you just got to keep moving forward. Um, so, you know, just like I was saying before, in any situation, even when you fail, you can look at the darkness or you can move on and look at the light. Um, so I try to run myself by that. But that boat was my biggest failure. My biz- my biggest success, I feel like, you know, Jack of the Dust up until, one thing that, that I am super, super grateful for is being an artist with a team, having a certain level of success, uh, being able to grow. I feel like my, my biggest success is just still being here like 10 years later. And, you know, it's just great to see people appreciate the art, um, you know, and it gives me, 
it gives me an opportunity to grow even further. Um, but I think, yeah, with this, with this success, I think it's great to show people that it can be done. Like you can take a different route, you know, you can choose a different way and it can work out. So, you know, I definitely just appreciate the biggest success of still being here 10 years later and not being a boat builder. <laughs> uh, so what's your favorite time to create? Um, you might understand this as a painter, uh, when I'm alone. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, Let's you know, hundred <laughs> percent. So obviously when you're creating, you almost have to put yourself on another planet and you have to kind of like think about things and you just can't have other thoughts in your head. Um, uh, so obviously, uh, running a shop, uh, where there's uh, a lot of people and stuff like that, I've had to learn how to try and create artwork whilst I've got people around me. So tough. Like, mm -hmm. um, but my favorite time is Fridays or Saturdays. Um, because the way that I operate my shop is we work Monday to Thursday and all of the crew have Friday, Saturday, Sunday off every weekend. So they get a three-day weekend every weekend, which is great because it gives me time uh, Friday and Saturday to work just while there's no one around and it's nice and peaceful and I can sort of just focus on the artwork. Do you have kids? Or no? I don't. I don't, but we're trying. That's yeah. why. That's yeah. why you spend so much time working on your yeah. art. <laughs> Yeah, we are trying, um, and I guess I'm lucky in that respect where my art studio is in a different location to where I live. Mm -hmm. yeah. So obviously I can just go off there for a couple of hours, and you know, I know a lot of people don't have that luxury, um, so that's something I'm super grateful for too. Yeah. Why do you think art is important? I think art is like is super important and not just what you and me do so painters sculptors yes i think this is super super important but beyond art what i think is like super super important is creativity so mm -hmm. how we move forward as humanity is through creativity you know when you look at like a new house a new design i i believe like everything is art you know mm -hmm. a new design for a car is art um the Tesla, it's a, it's an electric car. That is art because that is an idea that somebody had and they're like, I want to do this, even though nobody's doing it. Like this helps everybody else out. So I think the creatives, the artists are almost paramount in humanity for us to move forward because you need creative minds to move forward. Mm -hmm. Um, what I do within the artwork is probably, you know, not as important as what, like, say, like Elon, Elon Musk would do or whatever. But I still feel like artwork is super important because it actually just makes you feel a certain way. And you can bring things back to life. I can I can try bring creations to life that aren't here today or ideas that don't exist yet. And I'm like, I think it's super important to create that creative environment and push forward and you know, creativity and artists, I think, is probably one of the most important things within humanity because, you know, if you're just following the directions of everybody else, we're not going anywhere. It's like you need to be an artist. You need to create to move humanity forward. Very good. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> what, what do you think of AI art? I think it's cool. Like, honestly, like, I am a traditional artist. So mm -hmm. I sculpt with my hands, I paint with my hands. Um, it's not something I am interested in, but mm -hmm. 
you can't deny that like some of this AI work looks stunning. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and look, I don't think it's ever going to be a threat to real artists. You know, for a second here, let's just compare. Let's just say you get something in the mail. Let's just say you get a little printed document from someone trying to do something. You probably scrunch it up, put it in the bin. Let's just say you get a handwritten letter from someone. That's quite mm-hmm. different to a printed page. So, mm-hmm. yes, the printed page may look beautiful. There might be beautiful colours on it, but there's a certain level of appreciation to know that somebody sat down and wrote you that letter mm-hmm. word for word, and even if there's a little mistake on it, like they scrubbed it out or whatever. So, look, I, I, I think it's fantastic. I think it looks great. I don't think it's ever going to be a threat to real artwork. Um, as as we move forward and as things become more 3D printed, mass-produced, AI created, um, this is all fantastic. Mm-hmm. It makes real artwork more valuable, I think, because more people are going to take the path that's a little bit easier. So you're going to see a lot of artists coming out that use that digital format. The traditional artist pool will probably get smaller and smaller and smaller, and mm-hmm. at that point it becomes more valuable. That's actually, that's what I think, you know, I discussed it with my husband because he likes to render images using those AI programs. Yeah. And uh, I brought that up, that point that artists would be, would have more value actually. Yeah. Um, as opposed to, uh, I don't know, many artists freak out. <laughs> Yeah, no, I can see that. I can see that. Like, to me, I'm like, why would you freak out? Like, well, yeah. you know, I, I understand a lot of artists may freak out because they feel threatened. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't feel threatened because, like, 3D sculptures, like, 3D prints have been around for a while. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you can buy a 3D print, you can print it out. Like, it doesn't have a lot of value. Like, it might look cool. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of 3D prints that may have a lot of value. Like mm-hmm. there might be an artist that sculpted that in a program, they printed it out. That is still extremely valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just don't feel threatened, and I don't feel any negativity towards it. I, I think it is. I think it is cool. It's just not what I'm interested in, but I can still appreciate it. Yeah, I think it's a cool tool. Uh, I think uh, people also kind of freak out um, looking at Chat GPT, but. It's just another tool. I mean, we invented computer at some point. so Exactly. And you never know. Like, you know, it might be something that we might use in the future. Like, if there's an idea that we want to come up with, we might try to gel something up. And then you might be able to grab that digital file and try and manipulate it into a traditional sculptor. So I think mm-hmm. that's going to be like, there might even be a little bit of symbiosis later on where you're using a little bit of this and a little bit of that. You might just use it as a tool. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to ask you um, the last question. Uh, what what do you want to say with your art? I would say the biggest thing that I want to say with my art is that you can, and we have talked about this, is you can stand on your own two feet and be successful. Sometimes people think that, you know, if they don't get into a certain gallery or they don't get reposted by a certain celebrity, you know, they're not going to be successful. Like, so I feel like you don't need celebrities. You don't need galleries. Like, you can be successful by yourself without taking the traditional route. 
So, you know, all I'm trying to say with what I'm doing is it is possible to create art that you think looks good and you don't have to take the traditional route. I, I, I think that's what I would like to share with everybody, especially younger. Give, give them a, an example of someone that did something by themselves, did something a little bit unusual and it worked out. So hopefully it gives people the faith to be like, okay, Jack of the Dust did it. He used to be a trolley pusher. <laughs> but, you know, he, he he didn't have a background in art. Like I don't, I didn't go to art school. Like everything that I learned is self-taught. So it's like you can also be an artist and not study art. You might just have something within you that, like, you know, you can lean on. So I think that's what I would like to share with my artwork. Okay, very good. Uh, so please tell people where they can find you. Um, you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook at Jack of the Dust, or you can view my archive collection at www.jackofthedust.com. Um, I'd like to thank you for our conversation. I enjoyed it a lot. And I, I would like to wish you uh, to have a very successful and beautiful career and enjoy your art and family. Awesome. Thank you, Veronica. I definitely appreciate you taking the time. It was uh, fantastic talking with you. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for watching. Uh, all the links are in the show notes. Uh, take care. Bye-bye.